Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 15 of the Rattle Podcast. As always. I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, along with the one, the only, Jeff Weiser. Jeff, it has been right around a month to the day since we recorded our last show back on September 17th. Since then, the Diamondback season has, of course, concluded, not making the playoffs as things have turned out. They finished the season 85-77. and 77. Uh, By all accounts, Jeff, I think this will go down as a successful campaign for the Diamondbacks, a year that they were... Probably not expected to do a whole lot, if we're being honest with ourselves. A lot of people pegged this team to be right around 500 or perhaps a little bit below. I think those were roughly in line with our expectations as well. Uh, but Jeff, you you look back on this season, 85 wins uh, for a team that just traded their perennial superstar in Paul Goldschmidt. That's certainly you know something to be excited about moving forward. Yeah, I mean, if there was one constant this season, it was kind of change, right? I mean, we saw a lot of fresh faces, um, a lot of, you know, uh, new new pitchers, uh, new position players, and sort of like the team forming, I guess, kind of a new identity with Patrick Corbin, Paul Goldschmidt, um, you know, A.J. Pollock, and then eventually uh, Zach Greinke, you know, leaving the team. So uh, it felt, it certainly felt like a different kind of year. Um but at the same time, yeah, it was sort of refreshing to have a little bit of that turnover. And while it was, you know, hard hard to see some of those guys go, um, it was kind of neat to to see the team take a new shape. And yet, you know, as you mentioned, still kind of uh, probably exceed like uh, public expectations. So so that was kind of cool. I mean, I think it was a I think it was an entertaining season to say the least. I think anytime you have a team that is just not really expected to have any destiny whatsoever, even make you know, a, a remote amount of noise in September, you really have to feel like like that was a success. There was there was a day in September uh, just several weeks ago when I did, as you know, Jeff, uh, an emergency episode uh, the night of a Diamondbacks when you weren't available to be there. I was like, hey, I'm jumping on the air right now. The Diamondbacks had won several games in a row. They were, I believe, a game and a half out of the wild card race at that point here in the month of September, you know, just as the as the playoff race is building up. And, of course, I'm pretty sure I jinxed something because the Diamondbacks went on to lose, uh, I believe, seven of their next eight games following that show. But nonetheless, you know, just the fact that this Diamondbacks team was able to make noise, that they were able to be entertaining. I think a lot of people really enjoyed watching this team, even if, you know, even if they weren't necessarily winning every single game or really in the thick of the race throughout the whole season. 
this was a fun team to watch, and, and I think a likable team with a lot of fun personalities. There were some players who really broke out. Eduardo Escobar, the 35 home runs. Cattell Marte uh, unfortunately got hurt at the end of the year, which might have damaged his chances uh, in an MVP race that, frankly, probably wouldn't have gone his way anyway. Uh, but he's still undoubtedly in that conversation with the season that he had. There's just a lot to like when you look up and down this roster uh, and when you look at this franchise and, and their position moving forward into next year. They've got an offseason ahead of them. They actually have some money to spend following the Zach Greinke trade, right around $35 to $40 million. Uh, we're estimating is what they'll have to spend over this offseason, which I know we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. But, Jeff, it, it seems like this team just checked a lot of boxes. Unfortunately, not one of those was the playoffs, but nonetheless, still a successful campaign by many, many different measures. Yeah, and I think there was a you know a large chunk of the season that we commented on, right, where the team just fluctuated, you know, plus and minus of like two games of 500. Right, um, right. And while that was frustrating in a sense, um, it also meant that on a nightly basis, they could win. Um, and they weren't, you know, ripping off, you know, a ton of wins until that that one little hot streak in September. Um, but really, you know, that meant, I think, on a night in, night out basis, you kind of didn't know what to expect. I mean, think about if you were a fan of the Detroit Tigers this year. Or, you know, something like that. I mean, it certainly um, was more exciting than that. And so uh, every night you knew they were going to be competitive. You knew they were probably going to play, you know, a reasonably close ball game. Um, and so I think in that regard, the season was was really fun. Um, you didn't quite know how every game was going to go, but that almost compelled at least me, you know, to to really stay engaged with the season. And you know, you mentioned the breakouts and some of the guys that took steps forward. And, you know, you start seeing the writing on the wall of what, you know, the next version of this team is going to look like. And so, um, you know, it wasn't like a tear down and a rebuild, but it was certainly exciting in the sense that we got to see new guys kind of like step into that role of, you know, the run producer, the home run hitter, the table setter, you know, uh, guys filling the rotation, you know, really solidly. So, you can kind of see now, like it paints a picture of what I think we'll see in 2020 and beyond. I want to jump in as, as you're talking about some of the guys on this team who really took steps forward this season. We've got a list here of some surprises and disappointments that we want to run through here from the 2019 Diamondback season. I'll go ahead and, and get us started, Jeff, then I'll pitch it over to you. My first surprise is Cattell Marte. And I know we already mentioned his name. It's hard to talk about the Diamondbacks for longer than five minutes and not mention his name at this point because he truly made a name for himself around the game of baseball. He took a step forward into the national spotlight. I think he's now viewed by many people as a, as a potential superstar uh, long-term in this league. If he has a season like this against next year, I think he will officially move into that range of, you know, the Yelich type players, the Bellinger type players, those guys who are truly, truly game changers night in and night out. Cattell Marte with his defensive versatility, moving into center field, playing that position very well. And heck, he hit 329 this year, 32 home runs, 92 RBIs. He stole 10 bases, all while playing excellent defense at second base and at center field. Jeff, Cattell Marte is my first surprise. <sighs> I have to just like eat a big old pile of crow here, but I really did not expect him to take to the to the defensive 
uh, adjustment to center field nearly as well as he did. Right. Um, and, and I have to own that. Um, and I really think, you know, maybe where, where I got off base was just maybe not acknowledging, you know, what a supreme athlete he is. Um, he wasn't taking outfield reps, you know, really until spring training started or until he showed up and reported to, to camp. So um, it wasn't like he spent, you know, October, November, December, January, February, you know, all this time, you know, uh, you know, planning for this this move to center field. Um, and so with a relatively, you know, short amount of time and considering what it had looked like when he played a little center field in Seattle, um, I just did not have the expectations. But he was, you know, he was really good in center. Um, and then obviously, I mean, the bat speaks for itself. Right. But he took a huge step forward and it looks like the diamondbacks have, you know, uh, one of the, the biggest building blocks, you know, in baseball on their team for the foreseeable future at, um, an incredible discount. I'll move on to a disappointment. Now for me, my first disappointment is Jake lamb, uh, who really struggled with injuries this season, of course, as he has, uh, over the last couple of years now, uh, 226 plate appearances overall for Jake Lamb this season. He's 28 years old, so in theory, you you kind of figure that Jake Lamb is is right at the heart of his career right now. Uh, but he's really been derailed by injuries. The numbers not too pretty. A 193 batting average, OPS uh, south of 700 at, at 676. Uh, Jake Lamb, Jeff, I think we've talked about that in, in past shows. Is unfortunately probably a pretty good non-tender candidate for the Diamondbacks, given just the lack of production over the last couple years. It's starting to get difficult to justify keeping a guy on the roster who's frankly a little one-dimensional. He plays a decent third base, but you know he's certainly not a gold glove type over there at the hot corner. And we also know that he doesn't tend to hit left-handed pitching real well, so his value really comes down to hitting right-handed pitching. And this season, and now last season as well, for back-to-back years, he's really struggled with injuries. And when he has been on the field, he just really has not been the same guy as he's been in the past. I think you nailed it when you said that that he was one-dimensional. Um, and that, to me, is the most problematic portion of Jake Lamb's game is that, you know, he really relies on just feasting off of right-handed pitching, um, you know, and, and doing damage there. But he really provides you little to nothing else. And so with the injuries, with the missed time, um, it's cut into like the one thing he does well. And when you're down to one thing and you're not doing that well, that makes you pretty easily expendable. Um, And I also think that, you know, any hope that we had of him uh, really turning his, you know, one dimensionality around and becoming perhaps a more balanced hitter against left handed pitching he's missed so many reps at this point that it's, it's hard to imagine him at this age really turning like a major corner against left-handed pitching, which is, is, you know, unfortunate for him and, and just kind of a story of bad timing, whether or not he ever would have really done that is, is debatable, but the chance to do it um, seems to have kind of escaped him a bit uh, with all the missed time. And so, yeah, I just I have a really hard time seeing him, you know, continue to have a future for, uh, for the Diamondbacks. You know what, Jeff? I'm looking at Jake Lamb's platoon splits from this last season, and this is probably due to a small sample size, but here we go. Against right-handed pitching, Jake Lamb hit 177 
308 on base, 299 slugging percentage against left-handed pitching. 304, 429 on base, 739 slugging percentage. Jeff, am I, am I going crazy here? I mean, it's a it's a sample of 28 plate appearances, so I'm assuming that's what's at play here. Did you see Jake Lamb make any adjustments against lefties that, that maybe I didn't notice? Not really. I mean, um, yeah, I, I definitely go with the, the small sample size disclaimer there. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's a sign of, of something that, that maybe is something small that he did, but... Um, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between, you know, what happened in 28 plate appearances and what you think is going to happen over the next, you know, three, four or five years. And so, right. um, it's pretty hard to do, to deduce like a, like a real skill change there, but, but no, it's a good note for sure. Um, and he's going to need to, you know, continue to kind of showcase that to really even have like a major league future because I mean, let's face it, how many teams are out there chomping at the bit for, uh, you know, below average third baseman who can only hit, you know, right-handed pitching. I mean, that's a pretty unique skill set. So he'd really kind of need to be in like the right situation um, to really, you know, have, uh, you know, a, a strong future. And I'm sure there's a club out there that could use that, um, but it's probably not the Diamondbacks. I'll go back to a surprise. Surprise number two for me is the Zach Allen Jazz Chisholm trade which came down, I believe, on trade deadline day, July 31st, during the day. Zach Gallen coming over to the Diamondbacks, a 23-year-old starting pitcher from the Miami Marlins who had a sub-3 ERA during his time with the Marlins this season in his rookie year, came over to the Diamondbacks, pitched basically just as well, uh, and really maybe debunked any concerns that what he did over with Miami was, was just a complete fluke. Uh, a lot of people have, have talked about him as, you know, more of a number three, number four starter type. I think he might have showed that he can be even maybe a little bit better than that. And, and for me, Jeff, this surprise is, is not just, you know, the fact that Zach Gallen came over here and pitched really well, but the fact that the Diamondbacks went out and, and made this trade. The fact that they went out, they traded uh, who many considered to be their number one overall prospect in Jazz Chisholm who, by the way, went over to the Miami Marlins, put up some pretty good numbers uh, over there uh, with their double-A team. Um, but I think it was a fascinating move by the Diamondbacks, two of the top prospects in both of these organizations swapping places. The Diamondbacks apparently decided to go with the pitching side of things and go with, with more of a sure product in Zach Gallen, a guy who's already made it to the majors, and who not only with the Marlins, but now also with the Diamondbacks, has had quite a quite a bit of success at doing that. Yeah, I, it's a bold move for sure. Um, we don't see these kinds of, of trades very often. I remember sort of discussing this, you know, in our sort of deadline wrap up, but you know, it's kind of your, your, your classical like challenge trade, right? I mean, it's not, um, you know, we'll talk about another trade here in a minute, but it's not a lopsided trade on either side. It's really like us betting that um, this young cost-controlled arm is for real. Uh, and, and you know, the Marlins betting that uh, Jazz Chisholm's, you know, struggles to make, you know, um, consistent contact are able to be fixed. And so you sort of have, uh, you have two sides really, you know, you know, betting in their chosen direction, but uh, we don't see that in baseball very often these days. And so very fascinating. I mean, cost control starting pitching is always hard to find um, and difficult to develop with the number of injuries that happen to, to pitchers across the game. So um, 
definitely surprising. Uh, definitely not a trade that I saw coming. Yeah, the numbers on Jazz Chisholm over with Double A Jacksonville. Of course, it was Double A Jackson with the Diamondbacks. Double A Jacksonville with the Miami Marlins. He had 284 uh, in his time there. A pretty small sample, just 23 games, uh, but an OPS of, of 877. That 284 mark certainly a big improvement over the 204 average uh, that yeah. he posted with the Diamondbacks. The strikeout rate was also uh, dramatically quite a bit lower as well. So definitely a guy to continue to monitor. I'll switch back over to my to my second and final disappointment, and that is it's an interesting one because I don't think he was necessarily all that disappointing, but I think it's disappointing just that he continues to not take steps forward. And as a listener, you might know who I'm talking about already. It's Diamondbacks starting pitcher Robbie Ray, and Robbie Ray, of course, a guy that the Diamondbacks uh, engaged in quite a few conversations about during the trade deadline. Uh, there was rumors that the Diamondbacks were maybe going to get Clint Frazier from the Yankees in exchange for Robbie Ray, though it's still uh, is kind of a big question whether or not there was anything ever to those rumors at all. Uh, but nonetheless, this is a guy who is about to enter the final year of his contract here with the Diamondbacks. And back in 2017, the last time the Diamondbacks made the playoffs, Robbie Ray was their number two starter. And, and maybe not even the number two starter on this team behind Granke. He was basically the 1A. He had a, an ERA of 2.89 that year. He won 15 games. He was a really, really good pitcher a couple years ago. And, and unfortunately, he just hasn't really been able to recreate whatever was going for him that year. The command has continued to be sporadic. The velocity continues to dip, which is certainly concerning for a guy who's who's still in his, in his upper 20s, on, on the right side of 30, if you will. I think Robbie Ray is a guy that, that a lot of people have had really big expectations for. And while he's certainly you know a passable starting pitcher, he's still a, a decent mid-rotation arm to have on your team. He is far from, from you know useless to have on your roster. But unfortunately, Robbie Ray has just fallen well short of the lofty expectations that we placed on him two years ago. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, it's it's hard to knock a guy who's as productive as he is. I mean, it's not like we're, right. we're sitting here saying he's not a good player um, or a good pitcher. But, um, yeah, it just, you know, you, you could see, you know, at times, um, you know, a power fastball. And some of that's kind of gone away. His velocity was down about a mile and a half per hour this year and with his four-seamer. And, um, you know, that's, that's maybe a bit concerning. Um, but, yeah, he just – he still posted like, you know, pretty excellent strikeout numbers, but the walks crept back up, the home runs started to creep back up. And it's just, you know, you look at a guy with, with quite a bit of potential, just kind of struggle to put it together, um, struggle to go deep into ball games, uh, which, you know, today's world is, is not that big of a deal, but at the same time, it's not like the diamondbacks have the deepest, uh, strongest bullpen to back him up. So I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I, I really wish he he would kind of take that big step forward, that one that we we you know really wanted to see, and um, you know we've seen it in the past, we've seen it in, in fits and starts, but you know it just doesn't seem to stick, and so it kind of leaves us, I think, with some questions as to you know what his ultimate future is. But but no, I think that's a good uh, that's a that's a good one there, a good good one to identify, and and I'll I'll kind of kick it over to my. Um, uh, to my surprises and, and, and my biggest surprise was the Zach Granke trade. Mm. Um, not so much that they traded him. I mean, I didn't necessarily expect that he would be traded, um, but we certainly knew that they were open to the idea. 
Um, but to me, the, the biggest surprise and the thing that I couldn't believe when I saw the news was that, you know, they only ate $24 million over the, the life of the remaining life of the contract. Mm. Um, and that they were able to get back like, uh, some actually valuable prospects in return. So, uh, I was, I was pretty shocked. Um, you know, I had always assumed that, that the framework of any deal and it's been well chronicled now how that deal went down, but I just kind of assumed that, that they'd end up eating a lot more money and probably getting a lot less back in return. So, you know, once again, as we've talked about, credit to Mike Hazen for kind of standing his ground. But that really surprised me. And, and with, with Gallon's addition, I mean, they had someone to at least, you know, actually fill the slot. But um, very surprised at the return they were able to get back and, and the limited amount of money they had to eat. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great one. I, I believe I've told the story before on this show, or maybe people have just noticed um, but I'll tell it again real quick. I wrote an article the night before the Zach Cranky trade explaining why the Diamondbacks should hold on to Zach Cranky. And sure enough, about you know, 15, 16 hours later, uh, right as the deadline passed, the Diamondbacks went ahead and, and made that move. But, but Jeff, I'm with you. I, I was really surprised that the Diamondbacks were even able to get what they got in this trade. And I think the storyline of the deal itself is really important here. Mike Hazen... Uh, and the, ge- the general manager of the Houston Astros as well, both confirmed this following the deal. Mike Hazen basically came to the Astros with the price tag that it would take to acquire Zach Greinke, and he was not going to budge on that price tag. And it was uh, initially his feeling that the Astros were not going to meet that price. And for a while, they weren't. The, the talks were-, were basically dead by all accounts until on trade deadline day, the Astros called up Mike Hayes and the Diamondbacks and said, hey, we can make this work. And and I think from the Diamondbacks' standpoint, I think it has to be good to see that this front office is is finally standing its ground a little bit uh, based on you know what has happened in past years with the Dave Stewart regime. There was certainly a sense that the Diamondbacks' front office would get rolled over in these trade negotiations on occasion. And what happened here was, was clearly not the case. Uh, that was clearly not the case in this situation. And I think it, it certainly speaks to Mike Hazen and the fact that he knows how to do this, right? He, he knows how to negotiate and how to get, you know, top dollar uh, for his players. And, and I think Zach Greinke, this trade is, is certainly evidence of that. No, I, I completely agree. And um, that, that Robbie Ray for Clint Frazier thing may not be all the way dead. I don't know. We'll, we'll explore that later. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I agree. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of pivot over to one of my disappointments, and, and that was Yoshi Hirano. Um, you know, in a year that I think the Diamondbacks really needed uh, bullpen help, as, as you know, we, we saw on a fairly regular basis. Um, you know, he ended up finishing out the second year of his contract and um, just really wasn't quite uh, the pitcher that we were all probably hoping for. Um, his surface level numbers, you know, aren't, aren't terrible. Um, the 475 ERA is, is high, but he probably pitched a little bit better than that. But at the same time, they really needed, uh, someone to turn to, to be able to come in in the seventh or eighth inning, um, and really shut people down. And, and he struggled to do that on a consistent basis. And that was really, really disappointing. Um, He's always been a guy that, you know, without overpowering stuff, right, just has to be super fine with that fastball in order to get to the split finger. And uh, we talked about Jake Lamb being kind of a a one-dimensional player. Yoshi Hirano basically has, you know, one pitch, and it's that splitter. But he can't get to it 
if the fastball command isn't there. And hmm. we saw him get punished um, enough that that it was it was pretty disappointing. I'm not sure that that he'll be back in the majors next year. It's it's possible. I, I also don't know if he'll um, head back overseas or really what his plans are. But um, you know, when the, the Diamondbacks really were, you know, we could argue. Um, you know, a bullpen piece or two away from probably making an even stronger push for the playoffs. Um, they could have had that internally with Hirano, but he he really didn't back up um, the 2018 season that he had the way that you would like. And unfortunately, that just, I think, you know, really cost the team. I mean, his, his ERA was, uh, you know, uh, two and a quarter runs higher this season than it was before. And yeah, a lot of that had to do with with giving up home runs. He struck out more guys this season, but um, the walks were a little higher, and, and he definitely got hit uh, got hit harder. So, um, a little bit of a disappointment there. Yeah, I, I think Yoshi Hirano's struggles are uh, unfortunately he he wasn't alone. I guess that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, there were other you know quite a few other guys up and down that bullpen that also just had similarly difficult years and it felt like one of those seasons where just about everyone is is just not really at the top of their game Archie Bradley struggled quite a bit earlier in the season uh eventually kind of figured things out I know I think you're gonna talk about him more in a second uh but yeah this bullpen has has just continued to keep the Diamondbacks kind of right in the middle it's kind of felt like since the Mike Hazen, Tori Lovello regime took over here in Arizona. This team has been quite good, but their bullpen has never really been quite good uh, to live up with, you know, some of the starting pitchers that they've had and some of the position players they've had. And I think, as we talked about before, you've got some money to spend over this offseason, 35 to $40 million. That is undoubtedly the, the probably the biggest need that this Diamondbacks team will have to fill. Yeah, and, and since you mentioned it, let's just let's just move right over to my my second disappointment. That way we can end on a high note. Um, but yeah, it would definitely be Archie Bradley. Um, and again, you're looking at a guy that that um, you know surface numbers really pretty good. Um, you know, he had an ERA just barely over three, which by no means is terrible. Um, struck out. 27.8% of batters. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Um, but the walks really crept up on him. Uh, and, and I think more than, more than statistics, um, this one for me feels like kind of a matter of execution. Uh, I never felt very comfortable with Archie Bradley pitching the ninth inning. Um, it always seemed a little rocky. And so even though the, the numbers look good, he just kind of failed to really like instill confidence um and take that like that step forward i feel like he was still kind of the same guy and so he's another guy who i think had you know a real opportunity to kind of you know make that big step and, and he certainly had his struggles kind of midway through the season and then and then picked it up towards the end but if he's going to be a closer or even you know like a go-to setup guy i think his day-to-day variance has got to come down a little bit. He's got to be a little bit more reliable. Um, and to me, that's kind of why why he fell short for me. I just never really felt all that comfortable with him. Let me ask you a question, Jeff. I'm curious. If, you know, the Diamondbacks, we know they're going to go out, they're going to pursue some bullpen help over the course of this offseason. But I think we have to at least consider the idea that it's possible the Diamondbacks start 2020 with no better option in their bullpen than Archie Bradley to start the season as closer. 
Do you think, Jeff, that he is the favorite to be the Diamondbacks 2020 closer right now? If you if you just had to pick someone, do you think he has the highest chance of anyone? Yeah, I mean, as things sit now, I think he probably is that guy. Um, the question is whether or not you want him to be that guy. And so right. to me, that's where it's it's a little tricky. Um, you know, and it's not like he was a wildly different pitcher last year. He, he definitely allowed more walks. Um, and that did come back to bite him, but he did strike out a few more batters as well. So, um, you know, he, he you kind of look at him as as a guy that that definitely has some flaws to his game. Um, you know, he just for whatever reason, you know, the fastball command just never seems to really be there for him. Um, and that's that's pretty unfortunate. Uh, it makes it really tough to kind of, you know, really, really bank on him when that pitch just isn't there. Um, and then he's he's really down to, you know, kind of, you know, just having his, his curveball. And when that pitch isn't on either or, um, you know, there's times that he can he can locate it for strikes, but he has a hard time kind of commanding it from the, the strike look into a ball at times. Um, it just really detracts from from his ability to, to put guys away. And so. I think he probably is that guy as things stand now, but, um, you know, is that what you ultimately want? Probably not. One, one final thing on, on Archie. I think this is actually really interesting. I'm shocked looking at these numbers. Archie Bradley really struggled before the All-Star break, a 4.95 ERA. His whip was absurdly high, a 1.73 yeah. going into the All-Star break. You look at his numbers after the All-Star break, though. He was 2-1 with a 1.71 ERA. He was 18 for 19 in save opportunities, 33 strikeouts over 31 and two-thirds innings, held opposing hitters to a batting average of just 191. That actually, you know, gives me a, at least a little bit of confidence in, in Archie Bradley taking over that closer role, maybe a little bit more long-term. And as much as it felt like he was really shaky in the ninth inning often down the stretch of the season— it also felt like he really got the job done almost every single time, even if it was a little bit eventful. And at the end of the day, you know, we've seen before, you know, a.k.a., you know, maybe you're thinking of Fernando Rodney uh, or <laughs> Brad Boxberger or Greg Holland or, frankly, any of the closers that have been with this organization over the last few years. Even if it's not pretty, it, it, it can work, at least for a time. And right. Archie Bradley, I think, was he was at least good enough to make me feel – that the Diamondbacks, yeah, I don't, I don't think they'd be doomed if Archie Bradley was their closer to start 2020. I don't think it's ideal, but, but I think he's certainly passable in that role. Yeah, I agree. I, I just, it to me, it's like which one of those two guys are you gonna get? And yeah. so, um, I could, I could certainly stand on my end to really dig in and see if, you know, did he do something mechanically that that helped him thrive there in the second half? Did they, you know, use that four day break to really like go over some things and work on stuff. I've talked a lot in the past about how difficult it is for relievers to make adjustments in season because they never know when they're going to get used. Um, it's not like you can go out and throw 50 pitches in the bullpen to work on something uh, the night before a game in which you may get your number called. Um, so it's really challenging for them. And I'd like to see if, if there really is anything tangible there or, you know, was it a similar process with just better results? Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. But I agree. I mean, you look at the surface and, you know, you're like, well, that's that's not a bad relief pitcher. I think the rub for me is that, you know, I, I see him as a guy who, you know, has the makings or has the ability potentially to be quite a bit better than that. So 
hopefully we get more of that same, uh, you know, second half version next year. Um, and I'll finish with my final surprise. And that was Carson Kelly. Um, you know, Carson Kelly coming over in the Paul Goldschmidt trade was, you know, uh, you know, arguably the, the co centerpiece of that deal. Um, and what I really think is interesting with him is that the narrative there was that he just never got enough playing time in St. Louis to really show that he could be a quality major league hitter. Hmm. That's, um, I, and I feel like that was probably a pretty fair assessment considering, you know, he was, you know, very rarely used um, bouncing between AAA and the majors. But at the same time, that's like a risky bet, right? Because because what if the guy that he was really is who he was supposed to be in the majors? You know, that's a pretty <laughs> underwhelming uh, asset to, to go out and acqu- to trade your, frankly, your best player for. So right. um, the fact that he backed that narrative up and then, you know, came and showed that with, with real regular playing time, he could not just be a good hitter uh, for a catcher, but, but actually just be a good hitter for baseball. Um, that was really awesome. And to get any kind of really significant production from behind the plate while still having a, a good defender and a good receiver back there is a big deal. And and I think Carson Kelly is probably kind of an understated uh, building block for this franchise. Yeah, I, I think Carson Kelly was, was in many ways uh, maybe the most exciting player to watch on this team aside from Cattell Marte. Uh, he seemed to have a, a bit of a flair for the dramatic too. I remember – uh, game I believe against the Dodgers where he had the tying home run and then he hit the uh, go-ahead home run in extra innings Diamondbacks wound up winning that game in dramatic fashion Carson Kelly is a really good player and like you're saying I, I think the Diamondbacks fans have have really uh, endeared him I think they've certainly come to like him uh, both as a person and a player and and I think it's really eased the wound of, of losing Paul Goldschmidt uh, just to get you know a young up and coming player at a very important position, you know a, a catcher, and uh, all those things said, I I will say I don't think Carson Kelly is a perfect player or a proven commodity. I think we can get a little ahead of ourselves if if you know we we start thinking oh this is you know this is Buster Posey during his prime or sure. you know, anything along those lines. He he definitely had his flaws. Uh, he really struggled down the stretch of the season. He finished. Uh, 24, 104 over the last two months of the season in August and September. He hit below 200. Uh, he hit 207 after the All-Star break. Uh, and then he also had pretty dramatic platoon splits as well yeah. against lefties. Way up at 356 against lefties with an OPS north of 1,100 against righties all the way down to 203 uh, with a 708 OPS. So uh, I think Carson Kelly is, is definitely not a finished product at this point in his career by any means, but certainly uh, an exciting piece to have moving forward. And heck, the Diamondbacks haven't had any kind of stability at the catching position since Miguel Montero, you know, almost a decade ago. And and I think that in itself uh, brings a lot of excitement about, you know, a guy like Carson Kelly who's still just 25 years old. Yeah, I mean, just turned 25 in July. Um, You you look at it, he's under team control for, uh, shoot, through 2024, I believe. So, wow. It's you know he's going to be around for a long time and and I think I think the the point you made is really important the one that he's not necessarily a finished product um, you know he's just never faced uh, major league pitching with any kind of consistency um, and all those lessons that he's going to learn and take with him into this off season and you know into camp next spring I think will be really valuable so um, 
you know, he probably can look and say, okay, here are some things that I did really well. Here are the things that I need to work on. And, and now he has a plan. Um, and that's something that he can build on. So I certainly think, um, you know, think that he's a, a really strong asset for the team. And I mean, frankly, even if he took a small step backwards offensively, I, which I don't really think is necessarily going to happen, but, but there's enough room considering that he's a catcher that I mean, he could, and he'd still be a valuable player. So, um, quite the piece to have on your hands. Uh, I don't think anyone's upset about that. I want to move on to our, our final segment of the show here. We're just going to give a quick little sneak preview uh, to what the Diamondbacks might consider doing this offseason. We talked about a few random thoughts in, in our last episode back in, in mid-September. We'll throw out a few more thoughts now. Jeff, I know you've run the numbers, as we talked about earlier in the episode, right around 35 to $40 million to spend this upcoming offseason. Zach Greinke, of course, not completely coming off the books. The Diamondbacks will still eat $24 million of that contract uh, over the next couple of years, but still certainly gave this team quite a bit more breathing room than they had before. Uh, the Diamondbacks started this season at, at a pretty high payroll, so I don't know if they're necessarily you know, going to, to add so much over the offseason to get back to that point. I think it's pretty likely that they'll probably fall a little bit short of where they started out the 2019 season at. But nonetheless, Jeff, there's some wiggle room here that we haven't really seen before in the hands of this of this front office regime. Mike Hayes in every offseason has kind of just been playing the value game where, you know, you're trying to get as much for as little as you possibly can. The Diamondbacks actually have a, a little bit of money to spend. They're probably going to be looking for an outfielder, uh, some relievers, maybe some stability at second base. Uh, we're going to have a, a lot of very exciting coverage coming over at the Rattle. Uh, all three of us have kind of taken different pieces of the offseason, and we're going to really delve in uh, deeply and trying to figure out what it makes the most sense for the Diamondbacks do, uh, to do this offseason. We're going to kind of construct our own little little off-season plans as we uh, wear the GM hat. Uh, but Jeff, g just give me your thoughts initially on where you think the Diamondbacks are going to go this off-season. What are they going to be looking for? And how are they going to spend this money that they now have? Yeah, I think you're right on. I mean, it's it's really unusual, or at least it feels unusual for the team to have this kind of, of payroll flexibility. Um, you know, and they'll even get a, a bit more of that in the, you know, a year from now when Yasmani Tomas comes off the books. So right. um, certainly exciting, but you highlighted there's kind of a number of needs, right? And you, you clear that salary space by, you know, taking players off the payroll. Well, you can take players off the payroll, but you still need someone to assume their their position on the team, assume their role on the team. So, um, you know, I think it, it sounds like Mike Hazen is pretty comfortable with the idea of Cattell Marte continuing to bounce between center field and second base. It sounds like he really, really likes having that flexibility. So um, that ultimately means that, that they need someone reliably to play center field when Cattell's a second and they need someone to reliably play second when he's in center field. So um, ultimately, I, I think probably how they decide to allocate money in those two positions depends on what's available. Um, and, and I think even with money to play, Mike Hazen will, uh, will still kind of play the, the value game there. But um, there's definitely a need at second. I mean, Wilmer Flores has an option, but it sounds like that's likely to be declined. Um, and so you kind of have a hole there. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you, there's questions around, you know, do you bring Gerard Dyson back or, 
Um, do you think Tim LaCastro can can handle center field on the days that, that Cattell's at second base? So kind of a lot of things to think about there and, and kind of suss out, like, you know, what's going to be available on the trade market, uh, what's available on the free agent market, like, what's the best scenario, how do you line up all the pieces, and then, of course, you still need other GMs and uh, other teams to sort of cooperate with your plans, which, you know, may prove the, the, the difficult part. Um, but yeah, those are definitely spots that they will need a backup catcher. Um, so Avila's contract expires, but they do need a, a backup catcher. Um, so those are some of the things to consider. We've talked about the bullpen. It could probably use some, some beefing up and, you know, I don't think they've spent money on the bullpen, you know, kind of by design. I mean, if you're sort of a fringe contender, I think, uh, you know, spending a lot of money on your bullpen is probably not the best way to allocate, allocate your funds. Um, so a little bit of the, the bullpen struggles may even be somewhat by design, but I think that's something they'll have to probably shore up. Um, do you want Robbie Ray to be your ace or, you know, with that much money sitting in front of you, do you want to do something else and, and, and put someone else at the top of your rotation? That's something they can consider too. So, um, there are a lot of directions to go. I'm really excited to be working with you and Joshua really, as we kind of, you know, go through, uh, and look at all these different rosters across baseball for trade candidates, um, you know, scour the rumors, scour the free agent market and kind of come up with our own plan. But there are a lot of ways for my case to go here. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a really interesting winner for the Diamondbacks, much more active and much more interesting than we've probably seen in the last couple of years. I think Robbie Ray is, is maybe the most interesting uh, candidate to be traded on this team from my standpoint. There aren't, there aren't really a whole lot of guys that, that the Diamondbacks obviously would be looking to move uh, throughout their roster. A lot of the guys who are free agents at the end of next year Probably not guys you're not going to get a, a whole lot for. Uh, David Peralta might have been a trade candidate, but given the injury and the surgery yeah. at the end of the year, I think we're pretty confident that's not going to happen. Robbie Ray, it's it's interesting. We know the Diamondbacks entertained some conversations at the trade deadline. Uh, we mentioned the the Clint Frazier piece earlier. I think this is it's an interesting idea for the Diamondbacks. I surely think they will continue to listen on Robbie Ray, especially because the Diamondbacks have, have a bit of a surplus of rotation arms that they haven't necessarily had in the past. And if Robbie Ray truly is, you know, a pitcher who's going to give you right around a four, you know, this year I believe it was 4-3-4 was his final ERA, the Diamondbacks can get pretty similar production uh, from, you know, a, a different guy on this roster who doesn't have nearly the value on the trade market that Robbie Ray does. And in some sense, I think it would be uh, you know, pretty logical to consider moving that piece that maybe you don't really need and see if uh, a high upside arm like Robbie Ray can maybe land you a Clint Frazier or, you know, somebody with, with some upside who can plug a different hole on this team. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's, um, you, you know, you can find someone that will give you pretty similar production in terms of the, the overall output. How it's going to look might be entirely different. Um, you may have way fewer strikeouts, uh, but you may get someone who can, who can give you that extra inning. So uh, there are a lot of variables to consider. I mean, you know, the way they went about their business was very different, uh, Robbie Ray and Merrill Kelly, but the two of them, you know, and I think if you ask most folks, you know, well, who's, who's the better pitcher, you know, you'd say Robbie Ray and, and I would too. Um, yeah. but the gap there, you know, at least in terms of their production in 2019, you know, wasn't that wildly different you know, by the end of the season. Now, 
what you ultimately think that means for them, you know, next season and beyond is, is probably a different story. But um, I think your point holds that, that there's a way that that they could, you know, perhaps consider addressing that that top of the rotation area um, and looking for, you know, someone who, you know, can can maybe outproduce that a little more reliably. And and they have the money to spend, um, you know, they have they have currency in the form of prospects. I, I think Mike Hazen has a lot at his disposal right now. And um, he sort of had to clear some hurdles last winter and even midseason with the Granky trade and, and the Gallon trade. Um, he had to clear a lot of hurdles to kind of get to this point where I think he's now starting to look at, you know, probably this winter and next, um, you know, and even maybe the, the, the trade deadline next season, really being able to construct this team. Uh, the way he wants it. And so I'm very interested to see what that looks like because the early returns from his work have been so good. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to want to keep it locked to uh, www.therattle.net over the next couple of months. Uh, Give us a couple weeks and we'll uh, start to get some of this content out there. We're all really excited to um, play pretend GM uh, for a couple months over the offseason before things really get going. Uh, we're going to craft our own off-season plan. We're going to come up with free agents who we think the Diamondbacks should look at. We're going to come up with trade candidates on other teams that we think the Diamondbacks should consider trading for. Uh, so be sure to be uh, looking out for that. That's all that we have here for this episode 15. Thank you so much for joining us. We know uh, it's been a little while since you've heard from us here over at the Rattle. wanted to let the dust settle a little bit following the season. Uh, now we're going to go ahead and jump back into things full speed as best we can. Uh, So we certainly appreciate your support along the way. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter. If you have not done so already, you can find us at at TheRattleAZ. You can find Jeff at at OutfieldGrass24. You can find myself at at Jesse, the letter N, followed by my last name, Friedman. Uh, We would love to interact with you about this show, about past shows that we've done. Uh, So be sure to join us there. Once again, that's all we have here for this 15th episode of the Rattle Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon with more about the 2019 and 2020 Arizona Diamondbacks.